If you have your Bible with you, you can open up to Psalm 32. Before we start, <clears throat> let me tell you, um, Doug, can we back up just a little bit? Are you all okay? Can you, can you hear me okay? Okay. Uh, Psalm 32, before we, we start in on Psalm 32, let me tell you uh, what we're going to be doing for the next uh, couple weeks. One, we're actually going to take Psalm 32 in two parts. We're going to uh, take verses 1 through 7 today and then do verses 8 through 11 next Sunday. Uh, part of the, the reason for that is that obviously we're hitting April here. Uh, the 17th is Easter Sunday. Uh, in the run-up to Easter, you know, oftentimes uh, my mind, especially when it comes to Holy Week or, uh, you know, Good Friday, you're thinking of uh, the death of Christ, the, uh, the sacrifice that he made to pay for our sins, to provide for forgiveness. Psalm 32 is at least one place in uh, the Old Testament scriptures where we can find uh, a good picture of the joy, the gift that is ours in being forgiven of our sins. And uh, it's always good to, to reflect on that. Uh, and then, so this Sunday and next, we'll be in Psalm 32. Uh, on April 17th, we'll, uh, on Easter Sunday, we'll have uh, a message on the resurrection. Not exactly sure where we'll be for that just yet, um, but be there for that. And then coming out of Easter, the next series that we'll start, we've been in the New Testament for a while, so it's time for us to hop back into the Old Testament, and we're going to do a series through Exodus. So I uh, would encourage you to get in on the ground floor, so to speak, uh, on April 24th will be the first uh, Sunday that we're, we're starting in on Exodus. Uh, we don't have it mapped out yet in terms of how many weeks that will be, um, but we will try to give you, as um, by the time we get to that Sunday, we'll try to give you an idea as to how you can read ahead uh, to be able to familiarize yourself with the passage that we'll actually be uh, meditating on together when we gather on Sunday. So, Psalm 32, let me go ahead and read for us the entire psalm, even though we're going to be putting our attention on verses 1 through 7. Psalm 32, a psalm of David, a masculine. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not count iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check, otherwise they would not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, 
but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness will surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, if you would count and take record of our iniquities, who would be able to stand before you? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be honored and feared. Our souls wait and hope in you. We take assurance in the promises of your word that for all those who call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. That you are compassionate and merciful. That you forgive iniquity transgression and sin would you help us to rejoice in that today as we come to know your forgiveness through your son jesus christ by the power of your holy spirit amen psalm 32 has been described as something of uh an old testament beatitude you know beatitude usually we think of that in terms of the sermon on the mount where jesus in uh in matthew chapter 5 gives the uh the blessing statements so, blessed are those poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. So, a beatitude is, is a statement about um, where or how happiness or contentment, or some people would even go a little bit further to, to really try to capture it, where bliss is to be found. Perfect, uninterrupted happiness. So, if we're to think of Psalm 32 as something of an Old Testament beatitude, an expression of where true, lasting, meaningful happiness is to be found, it's interesting then that at the, at the heart, in, in essence, what is simply said here, simply but profoundly, is that real, meaningful happiness is found by those people who find forgiveness. Real happiness Real joy, real bliss in this life can be known and can be experienced, not by those who come into money, not by those who have a perfect spouse, not by those who have a satisfying career, not for those who are safe and secure with a flush 401k. The ones, the people, the man, the woman, the person who is able to find true, meaningful, uninterrupted happiness is the person that knows that their sins have been forgiven by a holy and righteous God. I want to try to do two things, or two things, three things. I'm not even following my own outline. Three things I want to try to do in these first seven verses. Looking at the blessing of happiness... I want to try to define first what that blessing is. When we talk about the blessing of forgiveness, we want to try to define in some sense our terms. That's in verses 1 and 2. Then in verses 3 through 5, I want to talk about how that blessing is received. And then in verses 6 and 7, talk about how that blessing is expanded. So... Defining the blessing, receiving the blessing, expanding the blessing. So, what is ultimate happiness? Ultimate happiness is the person who has found forgiveness. But, of course, in order to know what kind of forgiveness we're talking about, you have to know what it is that's being forgiven. 
or why it is that you need forgiveness. One of the things that's, that's unique about the opening verses of Psalm 32 is that David, as he's writing this psalm, he uses three different words for sin. So if you're reading out of New American Standard, which is what I just read out of, or ESV, you'll have three different words. I think NIV in the first two verses repeats one of the words, but let me tell you what the three words are, all right, just in, just in case you don't happen to see it in, in your English version. The three words are transgression and sin, that's in verse 1, and then the third term is iniquity in verse 2. Blessed or happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, and whose iniquity does not count against him. I don't think it's accidental that David uses three different words to describe what we would commonly lump together as sin. Each of these words, although there is some overlap or some way in which they sort of connect together, can in some way sort of stand on its own. So, so here's the way that it works. The idea of transgression, the, the word that's being used there, has the idea or the nuance of some sort of offense, some sort of a breaking or transgressing of a boundary or of a law. That's what a transgression is. It means an active violation, an active crossing over of a boundary line that has been marked out that we become guilty of. If transgression means an active breaking of God's commands, an active, willful transgression of boundary lines that God has set down and established, one of the things that Psalm 32 does when it presents to us the potential joy of forgiveness is to say, you need forgiveness not simply because you are someone who makes mistakes. You need forgiveness because you are a criminal in the eyes of God. You have broken and violated His law. You and I are by nature transgressors. We are hostile to and resistant to the law that God has given to us. There's a blessing for the man whose sin is covered. The word that's used here is a word that... that derives from a verb that means something like missing the mark or falling short. The idea here is that we, as sinners, are people who do not meet what is required of us. And not just simply because we are not strong enough, right? We're just imperfect or, you know, a little misguided. Part of the reason that we don't hit the mark, that we don't meet the destination or the goal, is because of the fact that we're bent and crooked. It's hard to hit the mark 
when you're always aiming in the wrong direction. And then the last term, how blessed is the man whose iniquity is not counted against him. That word for iniquity has the idea of being bent and twisted. In our sins, we are not just hapless, misguided people. We are bent, twisted, and perverted people in the eyes of God. But it's even worse than that. Because the last thing that David says in verse 2 is that the man who finds blessing is not just the man who finds a way for all of that transgression, sin, iniquity to be taken care of, but is a man in whose spirit there is no deceit. Part of the problem, a major problem that we have as sinners by nature is that our own spirit is so twisted and deceitful, we, will, we are unwilling to acknowledge just how broken and messed up and sinful and rebellious we are. Our sins are exposed, our transgressions, our violations of God's law are put in front of us, and our spirit says, that's not a big deal. That's not a big deal because the only reason that I did that was because of what he did first. Deceitful spirits are unwilling to deal with the weightiness of sin. Deceitful spirits minimize or make light of sin. Or deceitful spirits will not even acknowledge sin to be sin. We will redefine what is right and true, and exchange the truth for a lie because our spirits are not willing to bear up under the conviction of God's Word. We are by nature transgressors of God's law. We are by nature people who never hit the mark, who never meet the requirements that God has laid out for us. We are people who by nature are bent and twisted at the very core of our being, and we are people who by nature are unwilling to acknowledge that basic reality about who we are in Adam. You say, Merrick, lighten up. That's Old Testament stuff, right? That's all vengeful, wrathful, law-driven stuff that was meant to make people feel bad. We're not Old Testament people anymore. You want to hear Jesus? Jesus in John 3 says this is the judgment. This is the verdict, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light. For their deeds, their works were evil. Jesus talking about 
the goodness of the Father to give good gifts, addressing his own disciples, says in Matthew, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask for it? John will say later in his first letter, 1 John 1, that if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. You say, so where's the happiness in all this? I thought we had a beatitude, right? We were talking about joy and bliss. I'm not getting any joy or bliss out of this. Oh, you got to hear the bleakness before you get to the blessing. You have to know what God has saved you from in order to rejoice in His salvation. So at the same time that we are accused of being transgressors, we are told, but the one who is a transgressor, his transgressions can be forgiven. The word that's used there, it comes from the word to lift up or to take away. Your violations, your criminal record in God's courtroom can be lifted off of you, taken away from you, and you do not have to carry it. The one who is sinful, the one who misses the mark, the one who does not meet basic fundamental righteous requirements of God. The blessing that is offered to that person is, is that that sin, that shortcoming, that falling short can be totally paid for and accounted for. It can be covered. God will cover what you lack, and you lack an infinite amount. For everyone who is guilty of iniquity, who in their heart, in their nature, is bent and twisted, this verse says that God is willing to look on you, bent and twisted though you are, and not count that against you. I want to, I want to pause right here for a second. There may, be, there may be people here in this room today who do not know that this is possible. This sounds to you like wishful thinking because you know the things that you have done and the things that are in your past. This is not, this is not fiction and make-believe. The creator and lawgiver of this universe says that though he owes you nothing, he is willing to grant you a full and complete pardon. And you can know that you have that pardon today.
you say, that just seems totally unrealistic. What you need to do if you doubt that this kind of blessing can be given to you, that this kind of pardon and forgiveness can be given to you, you need to talk to people who are in this room. You are surrounded by people who can testify to the truth of verses 1 and 2. There are people in this room who have been pardoned of hedonistic, wild, sexual immorality. There are people in this room who have been guilty of abusing substances, trying to find happiness in things that were only temporary, a short rush that they were enslaved to. That sin has been totally covered. Adulterers, former adulterers, sit here forgiven. Declared right in the eyes of a holy God. If you're here today and you do not know that your sin has been lifted off of you, has been removed and placed somewhere else, you can know that today. And listen, the reason that you can be assured that your sin being lifted is not going to come back and fall on you at some later time is because when God lifts your sin off of you, you come to find that he has lifted your sin, your debts, all of the criminal offenses that you have, he lifts it and he places it on his son, Jesus Christ. Christ pays your debts. Christ has satisfied the justice of a righteous God. Christ has buried your sin and your depravity so that it no longer needs to haunt you. Christian, if you're here and you say, in theory, I know that that's true. I, that's, that's happened with me. But I've drifted so far. I entertain this sin or I entertain this errant thought and now it seems to have a, a foothold in my life. That can be handled. That was paid for too. As a matter of fact, David uniquely is speaking here of someone who, because he is already in covenant relationship with his creator and king, still continues to sin and needs to find the assurance of pardon and forgiveness. When we enter into union with Christ, it is not a one-time point-in-time transactional forgiveness. It is a forgiveness that we live in for the rest of our lives until we finally stand before God himself. So how do you get this blessing? Who doesn't want to be able to put their head on their pillow at night and just sleep?
without any worry, without any anxiety, without any fear that God is out to get you. The ability to wake up in the morning and face another day because you know that God is not hounding you for your destruction. Who doesn't want to live with that kind of joy and happiness and contentment? Where do we get it? Confession. The blessing of forgiveness in Psalm 32 comes by way of confession. Look back again at verses 3 through 5. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The problem with confession is that it's not natural. Confession is not what we naturally, instinctively want to do when we feel the guilt and the weight of our sin resting on our conscience. The very first sin by the very first people, you know what the very first response was? Genesis 3, what did they do? Cover and hide. But doing the natural instinctive thing to cover and hide only exacerbates the situation. It only makes the misery worse. The guilt is only compounded. David talks about experiencing that himself. On the one hand, David says, I kept silent about my sin. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to acknowledge it. So I kept quiet, and yet, all the while that his mouth is silent, not uttering a word, what is his soul doing? Groaning under the weight and the burden of unresolved sin. David says, I tried to carry on as if life was normal, and yet I found that every waking minute of the day, your hand was pressing on me. There was a heaviness that I could not shake. I felt burdened and weighed down, and I could not find any release, any relief at all. It was, I was unable to break free from the burden that I carried when I kept silent about my sin. You ever been there? If you're human, you've been there. And the longer you go without confessing your sin, the harder it becomes to confess, right? It's sort of like when everyone's been sitting in a room quietly reading. Who wants to be that person who interrupts the perfect silence with a comment? 
right? When you've been silent about your sin, the longer that silence is gone, the more awkward it feels to actually bring up what's been sitting there the entire time. Or the longer that you go without confessing your sin, and the more that you feel the weight of that burden, the more you think and begin to feel that God is hostile to you. And you begin to convince yourself that you can't confess because you've waited too long or because God is too upset. I love the fact that in this psalm, David seems to describe his confession as a man who just reaches the breaking point where he just cannot bear it anymore. I was wasting away I was feeling the weight and the pressure of God's hand upon me, and I finally just said, I'll confess. I will own it. And in saying that, what does David find? I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And what did the Lord do? Forgave. David does not say, I confessed my sin to the Lord, and he made me do penance, and then forgave me. He does not say, I confessed my sin to the Lord, and the Lord said, give me some time to think about it, and I'll get back to you. For all the time that David held his sin in secret, for all the time that David was unwilling to confess, in a moment, in an instant, all of that is wiped away. Listen, Christian, specifically those of you who, who claim to be united to Christ, and by claim, I mean genuinely united to Christ. I'm not calling that into, into question. Those of you who know Christ, who know that your sins have been forgiven, okay? Confession and repentance is a normal, regular part of the Christian life. Confession and repentance is not what you do once in order to get through the gate. Confession and repentance is something that we have to do as often as we sin or for as long as we sin. How long will we continue to sin? As long as we're still breathing in this life. Here is why confession is necessary in order for us to experience, to know the reality of God's forgiveness. One, because confession itself is an act of faith. Con listen, confession is not something that you do to earn God's favor. We never earn God's favor. What confession is, is someone who is coming and who is acknowledging that all that the Lord has said about this act, about this behavior, about this attitude, this mindset... All that the Lord has said, I believe that to be true. Confession is acknowledging, is agreeing with what God has said about your sin. Confession is also an act of faith in that 
by confessing that this is sin in the presence of the Lord, you are also confessing that it's only the Lord who offers you real, meaningful, true forgiveness in Christ. Why would you take it to Him unless He was also able to take it away? Confession is an expression of our faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ. But another reason that confession is necessary is because not only is it an act of faith when we confess, confession is an act of fellowship with Him. He is light, and in Him there is no darkness. Sin loves the dark. It loves to be hidden. It loves to fester and to grow that nasty, gangly, mold, and putrid stench. But when you bring it into the light, there is a way in which we are breaking from that sin that we are harboring and holding on to, exposing it to the light of God's Word, the light of His nature and character, and we're saying, I'm done doesn't mean there won't be struggle, doesn't mean that there won't still be continued temptation, but it is a way of acknowledging that I want Him more than I want this. Christian, if you are wrestling with certain sins that you don't seem to be able to beat or find victory over, I wonder if one of the reasons that that particular sin dogs you the way that it does is because you have not taken the very simple, basic step of confessing. I'll go a step further. We'll talk about this tonight. Shameless plug for the evening service. One of the gifts that God gives to us as His body, as a congregation of redeemed sinners, is the gift of being able to confess our sins to one another. You know why that's a gift? Because oftentimes, my spirit is so deceitful, I'm so given over to my sin that I can't necessarily even be confident that when I'm confessing to the Lord, I'm truly confessing that sin. Sometimes it's helpful to have another brother or sister hear me confess that sin so that I verbalize it out loud. I expose that sin publicly or even privately in a one-on-one -on -one conversation so that it's not hidden anymore. And so that now I have a brother or a sister who can walk alongside of me and say, if you are confessing and repenting of that sin, then this is what we would expect to see in the days and weeks to follow. There's the gift of accountability that comes with good, loving accountability that comes with confessing our sin to one another. Let me go ahead and just say, throw this in here as well. Edgewood people especially, if you have the privilege or the gift to listen to someone confess a sin to you, don't react with shock and horror. 
as if you don't bear that same type of corruption in your flesh. We are all beggars. Just trying to tell another beggar where to go and find bread. That's probably a good transition to the Lord's Supper. Stay in Psalm 32. The blessing expanded. In verses 6 and 7, David says, after he confesses his sin and that God declares him to be forgiven. In verses 6 and 7, David says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Here's the good news of Psalm 32. The good news is is that this kind of happiness is not reserved for a select few. This kind of happiness, the happiness that comes with forgiveness, is offered to anyone who would ask for it. Let everyone call on the Lord while he may be found. Every day that you draw breath, every day that the Lord wakes you up from your sleep is another opportunity to call on the name of the Lord is another day to confess and to find him compassionate and merciful, abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. He is so generous with his offer of forgiveness. And then on top of that, note, not only is it available to anyone who would ask for it, anyone who would call out, But the beauty and the joy of forgiveness, of knowing that your sins have been dealt with and that you walk in good standing with God, in fellowship with Him, is that although this life will not be trouble-free, you know that whatever troubles you encounter are not coming to you because God is about to do you in. You get sick, You get a disease, you lose a loved one, you lose a job. The blessing of forgiveness is that you know that God is not taking out his vengeance on your sin in those tests and those trials. You know that his favor rests on you in the same way that it rests on his son. You know that your sin debt has been paid for in full. And so even when the inevitable trials of life come, you can sing. The world does not have that. JT read from Luke 15. Do you remember what the charge against Jesus was at the beginning of Luke 15? This man, talking about Jesus receives sinners and does what? 
and he eats with them. When we gather at the Lord's table, when we gather for communion, what we are reminding ourselves of is the fact that God in Christ has forgiven all of our sins, that he has welcomed us in, that he has received us, and that he communes and fellowships with us, that he provides for our every need. We believe that the Lord's Supper is an ordinance that is given to the church, given to God's people, that signifies our communion and our fellowship with Him, that follows conversion and our public identification and witness with Him through baptism. So as we begin to partake of these elements in just a moment here, I would encourage you, I would plead with you, if you do not know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. If you have not repented of your sins, turn to him in faith, trusting that he is able to provide forgiveness. If you have not been publicly identified with his death and resurrection through baptism, just simply let the elements pass by you as they go. That's not to shame you. That's not to embarrass you. But it is to say that there is something special about what we do here as a church when we gather together to enjoy this reminder of not only our pardon, but our ongoing fellowship with our Lord and Savior. Men, would you come forward to distribute the bread?
Listen to Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. <clears throat> Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we esteemed him to be stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. His body was broken so that we could be healed. Take and eat. Father, we thank you that by the gift of your own Son, you have provided a way for misshapen, deformed, corrupt people to be made whole and perfect in your sight. Help us to draw, to draw on the faithful promises of your Son with joy and gladness, knowing that we have been made whole. Help us to live in light of that wholeness and the perfection of your Son by your Spirit. Amen. Man, if you'll come forward to distribute the cups.
again in Isaiah 53, verse 12. He poured out himself to death and was numbered or counted with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. As you take and drink the cup, remember that Christ poured himself out to death to pay for our sins and our transgressions so that he then could be raised to life to always intercede for us in the midst of our weakness and our sins. Take and drink. Father, how we praise you and thank you for the fullness of our salvation. Jesus, how we thank you for being willing to pour out yourself even to the point of death for undeserving sinners like us. And Spirit, how we thank you for taking the promises of God and bringing us to life to enjoy them, to bear witness to their truth, to bear witness to the saving, effective work of Christ in our midst. We ask now that you would help us to live in light of the power that we have been given through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And we pray this through his name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship together. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean would you sing it out sing it
Amen. We close with a benediction from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 and 20, through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You're dismissed.